From New Orleans, this is Mindset. Psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic interviews the leading lights of America's most fascinating city. Hello and welcome to this edition of Mindset. This is Dr. Nick Pajic. Sitting with me tonight is attorney and home renovator Mark Maurice. Mark has held many professional and civic leadership positions here in New Orleans prior to Katrina, but during that storm, Mark and his two friends, Bo Whalen and Paul Gonzalez, personally risked their lives and became local heroes. August 29, 2005, Hurricane Katrina blows through New Orleans. There's a sense of relief. They feel like they've dodged a bullet, but little did they know, the floodgates had already burst wide open. This is Jim Cantori on the Weather Channel. Most of the city becomes flooded with up to 20 feet of water. Every direction you look, there were people. Screaming, hell, screaming, you know, my baby hasn't eaten in days. Screaming, my, you know, my wife and my husband is on dialysis, you know, he's, he's dying, he needs help. Can you please bring us oxygen, food, water, you know, anything you possibly can do. Lifelong New Orleans resident Mark Maurice decides he has to do something. Mark and his friends commandeered a boat and rescued over 200 people. And a lot of times I was jumping in the water and, and stuff was fouling the engines or whatnot. I'd jump out of the water. I've got a 45 on my hip. I've got you know two shotguns and the fishing gunnels. And I, I'd grab down my little bottle of Don Julio tequila and take a sip out, rinse my mouth out from that water that I had just put in it, spit it out, take another sip oh and God. swallow it, put that back up, and then tell everybody on the boat, you got to shut up. Everyone's got a job here. The guy on the front of the boat, you're like, you're looking for cars, underground submersible things, limbs, kites. Wow. The guy in the back, you're holding this button on the motor. If I scream up, you push that button, get that motor up as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. When you hotwire a boat, the auto trim doesn't work from the handle anymore. Right. So <laughs> right, right, it's right. One, of the, one of the things I could learn during Katrina. Uh, but then we, you, you would take everyone, give them a job, so, and tell them to just be quiet. Because we need to listen for gunshots and those kinds yeah. of things. And, that, oh, yeah. you know, shot at tequila or two, and you just keep on going. As in war, acts of heroism that save the lives of the rescued change the lives of the hero, often in unexpected and unforeseen ways. Mark, let's start off by talking about how your Katrina experience might have changed you. Have you seen changes in yourself because of it? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely affected me. Changed me. Certainly left scars. Tell me you about know, that, yeah. It's all that, all that mishmash. Once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I guess it took about, a, after about a month or so after the storm, you know, I started it was just feeling more anxiety and a little bit of, you know, mm-hmm. pressure and just, you know, reflections on whether it's bodies floating on boards or whether it's, mm. you know, people just in severe pain and suffering due yeah. to, having drank water out of the mm. out of the, the the streets wherever the water was everywhere mm-hmm. um, you, so you were more anxious and felt depressed for a time yeah absolutely you yeah. know I, what was I that like I don't, for you i mean had you felt like that ever before no you know and, and i and, and i don't know you know uh i don't know if depressed as much as just you know not clear as i was before about what i want to do with myself not clear you know, it, other things seem like uh, they were minutia in comparison, in comparison. To, to these decisions. Unclear in that, like, wow, like I was practicing law, Katrina hit, I saw this massive suffering, which affected me, and now I need to find something different or change something. 
there's got to be a. I, I believe there's a calling out there for me, for you know, for a higher spirit. I think there's a, that everyone here has an opportunity to change someone else's life. You know, I believe that we've we're here to do that. We're here to work with each other to do that. Did Katrina teach you that, or was that something that um, you brought with you into Katrina and then thought to yourself, "Wow, this is a time that I can do something"? Which one? How was it? How did it go? I've had that feeling prior to Katrina, and that's one of the reasons I was out there, you know, working. Yeah. You know, sunrise to sunset to help people. But it's just there's a lot of a lot of time on that boat when you're going up and down the streets just wondering what is going on, you know. I mean you're questioning, you know, did God make some decisions about us, New Orleans, this place? You know, did did man make decisions about this? And then yeah. now what do I really want to do? And getting back to your earlier question, you know, do I really want to uh do I really want to go back into law and work, 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 work every day? And you know, a lot of the things about law for me is it, it's I can do it for someone. And even if you don't have money, I'm happy. You know, come cut my grass. But yeah. when someone doesn't follow through, yeah, I get personally offended. You know, and I'm still working on that for myself because you know the the promise that if I do something for you, you're going to do it for me, and then you don't just because yeah. you just because you don't, not because you're not capable of it. Yeah, it's, it's still personally offensive to me. So well, I wanted to get out of. I, I like to. Get, I have to get. Still today, I have to get out of that. I'd rather so, te- charge them fifty bucks, all and, that, yeah, and have them pay me fifty, than you know, just t- than be that. disrespectful. Right. You said. Well, I'm interested in knowing some of the psychological effects of Katrina because I don't think a lot of people know that you know high functioning people, like yourself, can feel that. So, did you have any like uh, frank nightmares of what happened? Um, or day, like daytime re-experiencing of the images, uh, the months or weeks, years following Katrina. Absolutely, for years following, I've like had. What? Uh, sometimes I'm driving down Claiborne and, and and I all of a sudden imagine that I'm in a boat. Yeah. You know, and, and just and, and it, I'm elevated to a height, you know, four or five, six feet up, and, and it's just it's a it's a really weird feeling. What do you feel like internally when that happens? Um, you know, there's a, a, a smile most of the time. You know, some of the, it was just, it was, was, we, it was, is this really happening? Is the question I asked myself a thousand times when just I was. Just surreal type it's feeling. Completely but surreal. But when you're re experiencing it, though, you feel happy? On, on, on some occasions. On other occasions, it's, you know, it's very difficult just to think about, because could, I couldn't pick everybody up. You know, and, and while you're going down the streets, yeah. the people are holding their babies and screaming and yelling, please help, please help. And you just, you know that. You have a capacity on this boat, and you're—I'll be back. So people are holding up their children to you to take to to help. Absolutely, I mean, people are holding their babies in their in their hands, all from balconies all over the place. Was there, was there ever a moment that I mean, just the imagery of what you're saying is powerful? Was there ever a moment that you just broke down and said, "This is crazy. Like I can't take this anymore," or that you had a pri- private moments where you had to cry to kind of just release it, or did you hold it in the whole time? I mean. You know, I, I, I held a lot of that in, and the, I was with two other guys, uh, yeah. you know, um, Bo Whalen and Paul Gonzalez, and these guys, I couldn't have done it without them. But a lot of it, just being strong for a team in a lot of ways, you know. And, and yeah, there was definitely a point when I said, I'm ready to go. And that was on that Friday. I'm like, you know, I've, I've got to get out of here. People have been telling me for days, the prisoners right down the street from where I, I lived and was sleeping, the, the prisoners are loose, police are killing themselves. You got to get out of there. What are you doing? I'm getting the text messages from dear friends and confidence that are intelligent that are telling me get the hell out yeah. of there. Yeah. And uh, 
What about later on then uh, when you got time like back to safety and you kind of showered up and you had a few days to reflect? Um, you, you said that you, you did have nightmares? Well, the, the next day uh, we went to Morgan City. Mm-hmm. My brother lives and you know, the next day I just couldn't quit thinking about all the people I left. Mm. And so I figured out a way to get back in mm-hmm. and came back in. You came back in? Yeah. After so, one day? Yeah. So the next, on Sunday, actually came out Friday and then Sunday, wow. uh, we were coming back in. I don't know, it was 2 a.m. or something. We were on the road wow. coming back in. So, and uh, just to, I was in a boat and I could, I was talking to the, you know, older people that are on their second floor through yeah. their screen windows. And when the helicopters are going by, they can't hear these people. Right. And the boat's... So I just I knew where people were, and I just did you and you witnessed death. You I saw dead bodies, dead people. Yeah, yeah. How did that affect you? Uh, you know, it uh, it's not a nice picture. Yeah. You know, and you, it, I didn't stare. I wasn't so interested to go over and, and want to poke on it or anything like that. Right. But um, you know. When you when you when you ride by a body who's like one of them was floating on a a board or something. I don't know. It looked like a piece of uh, plywood. Mm-hmm. You know, the bloated and laying there. It's just, uh, you know, it's an ugly picture. Yeah. You know? I mean, it also seems like the people that were living who needed help were probably the most haunting. The way you're describing it. Some of the some of the screams of terror and the, the beating on the rooftops, echoing off of the water. So people are beating in the rooftops trying to get out, but couldn't get out. I mean, yeah. So what are you supposed to do in that situation? Well, you know, the, the, the environmental factors of all of the leaves being knocked down, a lot of the trees bare, and you've now got this water where the, we're getting this bouncing of the echo, and you, you didn't really know where people were. Good God. And trying to get to some of the bouncing or the, the, the banging of boards. You could boards. hear this at night? Yeah. Wow. So just it's a cacophony of noise and just screams in the air and throughout the dark. It was very dark and hot during that time. Yes, it was. There's no lights, and it was just humid as all hell. You could see the, the entire galaxy from the reflection on the water on Napoleon Avenue looking down from the boat. Wow. You know, it was, uh, it was, it was very surreal. Yeah. yeah. Quite amazing. Yeah, but uh, you never um, you never want to have to go look at dead bodies and, and see people because you could see that they had suffered and they had gotten to this point. Yeah. tragedy, you know. How does it, does it continue to affect you even to, in today, 2011, looking back at Katrina? Uh, like psychologically, you know, like you said, you re-experience some things sometimes. Do, do you have anxiety about it? No, no? I, don't, I don't think so. You yeah. know, I, I think that uh, it took a while and to get over, and I yeah. did get over it. An intervening factor was that I was at someone's house and their dog jumped up and bit me and oh put eight stitches in my face. During so, Katrina? No, that was about oh. October afterwards. So uh, October 2006. What do you mean intervening factor? Well, as far as I've got this going on, yeah. the storm, I'm not back living where I need to be living. Yeah. I'm starting this new business and out there trying to help other people. I'm dealing with the emotional issues of of. You know, having suffered and seen a lot of this, and, and now I've got a, you know, a dog jump up and bite me bite right in the, the face, face, which threw me into a, a pretty serious PTSD issue. Yeah, right. With, I mean, uh, did you ever get help for it? Yes. You did? Yeah. Um, how so? 
uh, sought professional treatment through a psychiatrist. You, um, you might have asked you about it. Like, no. what, what, what was your experience like seeing a psychiatrist for the first time for an actually like a real problem that you were having? Uh, it was fantastic. Really, it was nice. You know, a lot a lot of men are taught to, you know to be a strong man and don't share. And I certainly, I don't know if I was taught that or that's just by my nature. But it was really nice to be able to sit down and talk to somebody. Yeah. And go through uh, you know the motions, you know. And then there was another doctor. Mm-hmm. Who uh, he referred me to, who was a breathing specialist, mm-hmm. who really taught me how to breathe, right? You to know, kind of calm your system down, to, to completely calm it down, because you know, because even having to walk by a dog after that was you, the avoidance of a dog because of the traumatic event, sweat, sweaty palms, couldn't yeah. sleep. I mean, just all sorts of issues with with that. Wow, that's terrible. I mean, it was petting him; it just lunged up and bit me right in the face. Apparently, it had bitten someone's ear off a few weeks before that. And uh, the yeah, owner had good, trained good him God. to bite people that he didn't know. So. What, let me ask you, the psychiatrist that you saw? That Dr. Robert Barnes. Did you try medication to help out? Yes. What did you think of it? I think it helped. Yeah. Well, how, did, <laughs> you know? how did it help? Tell, I mean, I think listeners need to know that. Sure. Well, you know. I don't know. You know, it'd be wonderful for me to be able to say, well, that's medication and that's not. Sure, and this sure. is good. <laughs> right. And wow. You know, but I, I can't dissect that. It's like all of it together, though. You know, I, I think it's a, it's a total experience, you know, and the goal is to be off of medication. Yeah. The goal is to get on to assist you with the anxiety issues, which was more than anything. It was just extreme anxiety, which went from dogs to traffic to you're not agreeing with me in a conversation. I mean, there were certainly a number of different issues. You were more irritable. Completely. Yeah. It yeah. just, it, but it, it, it was flowing over into personal life and flowing over into uh, you know, business this? decisions. So, I'm sorry um, to interrupt. What was the straw that broke the camel's back that you said, I'm going to go see a psychiatrist because it, where you said, you know. Interestingly enough, yeah. you know, as a personal injury attorney, I had two other clients, one from a vicious dog bite wow. or attack, yeah. which I had sent to Dr. Barnes. And this client was, I mean, just hated doctors and couldn't stand them and, and was just spinning around and flopping all over at night and, and really having oh. terrible nightmares. Yeah. And after going to see Dr. Barnes, you know, like five or six times, you know, I feel like I'm doing a commercial here, but you asked his name, but you know, no. he just, he, you know, this, this client of mine, it was sleeping, his wife was saying, you know, and was not having all the same issues that he was having before. And then I had sent another client, uh, who had some uh, post-PTSD issues to, to Dr. Barnes, and it helped that guy, too. So I just knew it, and I and called you, him, and I said, I need in. I and, like, you, <laughs> and you knew the symptoms that they were having, and you saw them in yourself, too. Right, right. There was a gentleman, another gentleman, another doctor, who was doing a, the breathing therapy with me, mm-hmm. and he was also doing a light therapy through the eyes, and he was walking me through how to do all the breathing, and, and just you know hooked up to the machines, yeah. You know, if he would say, imagine a dog, then I did. You could see the heart rate go up and all the different things wow. on the machine speak. So, you know, because I was wondering, you know, am I really, does this really affect me as bad as I think it does? Because how, this has never been who I am. Right. You know, but now this is who I am and, and I, I got to do something to address it. Yeah. And uh, so seeking professional help was very good for me. I was open to it and, you know. Do you still suffer symptoms of um, the PTSD that you have to keep in check at all? I think, yeah. For the rest of my life, I think that I will 
from from the dogs. You know, uh, now I can walk in rooms with dogs. I can actually go in houses with dogs that wow. I don't know. You yeah. know, it's it's a it's a matter of breathing. Yeah, breathing treatments. You know, sometimes I'll recognize that I'm getting a little agitated. You know, probably easier or earlier than I should. A lot of times I want to get to the point. You know, and all you know, and I forget that. A in, lot in a discussion, a lot. you mean? Right. Mm-hmm. A lot, I, you know, I just I forget that there there some sometimes analysis takes four or five steps to get to a point, and in in common conversations and where people might not have the same understanding of the situation that I do or whatnot. So I, I'm trying to be more patient, I guess, is the good word. And that brings me, I was in City Hall in New Orleans once, and I, this older, frail lady walks in the elevator, and she's smiling. I said, you got it all figured out? And she's like, oh, yes, I do. And I said, really, will you share it with me? She said, patience. That's it. I looked at her, I said, I guess in City Hall you got the right word. And she's like, no, that's life. And I, wow. so I thought those were some really, really words of wisdom because it, you know, a lot of times it just comes down to slowing down and, and asking yourself, what am I not doing to make this a better situation? What am I not doing to, to get over this anxiety or to get yeah. over, yeah, you know, the guy just pulled out in front of me. I got somewhere to go. But, you know, it's honking a horn, flipping five fingers and all that good stuff. I'm just getting myself, you know, and that's ultimately what it comes down to. I am getting myself worked up. Yeah. I am, I am hurting me. You know, I, I told you this morning I had a horrible news about a continuance in a trial. My yeah. car was booted this afternoon. I got a phone call uh, that the power was cut off at a tenant's house where Jeez. I'm supposed to be covering that bill. Yeah. You know, so it's just you know what are you gonna put you know it's, bad day. Well, you know. Everything in life, unless you're looking at it like, I can solve it, I can get over it, and I'm going to, mm-hmm. you know, that's just life. Let's talk about the rest of your life. What was your life like the day before Katrina hit and changed everything for you? My guest is Hurricane Katrina hero and attorney Mark Maurice. I'm Dr. Nick Pajic. We'll be right back on Mindset. Welcome back to Mindset. I'm psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic. Sitting with me is Mark Maurice, who is an attorney, but is best known in New Orleans as a hero in Hurricane Katrina when he commandeered a boat and rescued over 200 people. Mark, you were telling me how your Katrina experience, navigating flooded streets to the backdrop of gunfire, rescuing stranded and injured people from uh, flooding buildings and witnessing death, uh, how... That experience has changed you forever. What were you like before? What were you like the day Katrina struck? I used to talk too much. What do you mean? You, you know, thinking you had to know the answer, thinking that people really care about what, you know, that your opinion is really important. You know? Yeah, I think your opinion is important. Well, that, that's really nice of you to say. But, I mean, it, you could also say so much that people stop listening. Oh. You, know, you could also be to a point where you're, you're you know, a constant advocate and then everything that you're advocating morphs into one. Into one big... Right. You could also be sarcastic to the law and to the educators and to those people in life who are trying to help you. You could, 
you could you could go to the point where Have that, has that happened to you where you were sarcastic and you got into trouble or something? Absolutely. Really? Okay. Uh, you, are yeah. you pretty? Are you funny? No. But, well, you know, it just. It, it, I mean, you're bright. I know that, but a lot of bright people are very can be sarcastic and. You know, it, I, 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 growing up, it was always I, I could easily find the pressure point and, and challenge immediately if, if I felt as though that was the quickest way to to get to my yeah. my want. Whatever my want might be. What do you mean be. pressure point? Give me an idea. What, give me an example of that. What, you know, if someone's discussing a complete issue, you know, then, then you could throw out the one question that you know that there's... It's going to destroy, it's dismantle their argument. Dismantle the entire argument, you know, instead of just listening and being nice. Where and, does it come from for, for you? What do you think from your upbringing or influences uh, does that come from, that challenging people? You know, I'd have to say from my environment. You know, the two factors would be genetic and environment. And, right. and now that you know Heidi and I are, you know, planning on having our first child, we're I'm constantly reflecting on what to do and <laughs> what not to do. And I've been asking all my friends who are parents, what's the one thing you could tell me right now that yeah. you think is the best advice in the world? And you know, one of them said to me, "Spend time with your kids." Yeah. And, and that's just completely what. What happened to you though? Like in your in, when you were a kid, what was it like that you think that kind of you developed into a young man that was well, smart to, but sarcastic? To draw that back, spending time with my parents who were both intelligent and sarcastic. Really? You know? what, what's your relationship like with your dad? You know, very good. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, my law office is downstairs. He's a dentist. He's I guess oh. seventy six, and he's upstairs. He still works four days a week. Wow. You know, so he's that's fantastic. He's out there busting it. Was it hard having a dad that was sarcastic at times? I mean, no. I mean, I've I've enjoyed watching him uh, be sarcastic his entire life. I mean, if he's on aisle seven of a grocery store and he sees a twelve ounce can of tomatoes and wants a sixteen ounce can, he'll raise his hand and start yelling, "Help! Help! <laughs> help!" And sure enough, someone will come running over to him. He's like, "Do you have the uh, tomato in a sixteen ounce can?" So yeah, he's a you know quite a, quite a quite a character. When you were coming up. Was that was it tough for you? Where it like sounds like he drew a lot of attention to himself. If he's doing that type of thing, he still does. He does yeah. still does. <laughs> is it hard? I mean, is it hard? No, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, you know, I mean, I I don't ever I remember mean, a time when I was embarrassed by it either. Yeah, you know, because it's it's just always been funny. You know, he's uh, he's very good with people and loves people. So he, what what about your mom? Or what's your relationship like with your mom? Or yeah. or growing up even. We have a good relationship. She, they both live in town. You know, I was with her yesterday, and mm-hmm. she, she's very intelligent as well, uh, and not as sarcastic as my father. She's she, she's much more of a. She wants to place her opinion uh, on every issue, and I think oh. that's where I might have gotten more of what my opinion on every issue was valuable. So your mom listened to you and kind of would ask your opinion on certain things. Um, or give you her opinion on. So you got to hear a lot of her opinion too. Do you sure. think you've internalized kind of that character characteristic of your mom as a professional opining on different, you know, legal things or defending people, making argument statements? Absolutely. And you know, but it's difficult. Again, I brought that up as something that I'm trying. You got to try to listen more. It's easy for all of us to go ahead and. and Take a blank picture or a wall or some scratch marks and go ahead and, yeah. and, and say what it is. And uh, I found that I guess in college through student government and council and all that, I, yeah. would, I I thought I had a really important something to say about everything. And then I started realizing that all it did was diminish what the return was for your opinion. 
And so when I asked you about the dark days in your life, which we've all had and, you know, people have those, but I think people see successful people and say, well, they're just a successful person. You know, I bet they didn't have, uh, you know, hard times. And now that's, that's interesting. I wouldn't change anything what I would in my life except for the times that I've hurt people mm-hmm. intentionally or unintentionally that would I would change that you know any times you'd be willing to, to talk about and, you know just if I said if I said if I said something wrong or, or made someone feel bad you know yeah. I mean at any point in time so there's nothing in particular just you know we, we can all go through this world and try to not to hurt other people and just to help them you sure know? but uh you know I went to uh, 10 different schools oh wow got my GED what was that like and I got to meet a lot of disciplinarians. Why were you going jumping <laughs> around from different schools? I, the first time was the parents got separated, and then oh. from there, just acting out, causing trouble, seeking attention. Can you be specific about what kind of acting out? What do you mean by that? You know, uh, for example, if you're in detention, they say make a spitball or you know or something because you made a spitball in class, and then you. You make 5,000 of them while you're oh, in detention, man. and then you glue them all to a, two or three pieces of paper, and you make a little farm animals out of them. And, and, you know, and oh, jeez. It was just stuff that the, the nuns didn't like that that night. In Mississippi you grew up? No, here. Here in New Orleans? Correct. But 10 different schools mean you were getting in trouble at one school and then get kicked out to another school? Have to get... Uh, you're kicked out or suspended for a period or just wasn't working out or... How old were you when your parents separated? Nine. Nine. Wow, that's pretty... Third grade. It's a tough age. Could you remember that? Um, does it still affect you? I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. You know, it might have been part of the reasoning. I've waited so long to get married. You know, it might have been... And they had a good relationship. Then they had a relationship which was pretty rocky. And I yeah. remember that very well. Like arguing? A lot of arguing? Arguing, stuff. yeah. Screaming, yelling. You know, stuff that just to children is really bad. Yeah. You know, then they they both were very lucky. You know, both of them cared so much about us. They both fought. I mean, all the way, they yeah. made law. When I was in law school, the, the Maurice versus Maurice case was one we studied in class. So really, you know, they they fought each other tremendously about oh, you wow. know about uh, having custody and spending time. You know, so so we were very very fortunate. A lot of times in my practice, I've seen where people are the opposite. Yeah, in some of that I see now, and I, you know, I can't really tell you what their mindset was. Well, hold on, let me stop you for a second. Sure. What you're saying that while you were in law school, which you were very involved in from reading your history, you know, um, in different achievements, but you actually studied your parents' case, uh, which in which the, you were involved in a way, it, pretty directly. Correct. Well, I mean, as the child, you know. Yeah, I mean, so how many siblings do you have? Just one older brother. Old, one older brother. So, I mean, that's just amazing to me right there. That you, what, What's that like for you from bringing the anger from their separation and the acting out and going from different schools and whatnot? And then here you are, you end up in law school, uh, which I think is a big turnaround from, what, what, from where things were headed. And then here you're studying a case with your parents. I mean, what's that like? I, yeah, we just flipped the page one day and it said Maurice versus Maurice. And I... I you know, there there aren't many Italian Maurices around, so, right? You know, the, so I mean, what well, what did it feel like? I I, I just I kind of smiled. I mean, I was I was there through it all. I I knew of the battles. I knew that they were. I mean, they. I was fortunate in the fact that they didn't involve me daily trying to pit me against the the other. You they know? were not doing that. 
Right. Uh, but you, did you know that they were suing each other and yeah. whatnot? You but it, yeah, it, you know, it's children are very perceptive. Again, going back to the, your own you spend child. time with your family and you spend time with them. You're gonna you're gonna do what they do, act the way they act. You're gonna yeah, you're gonna know what's going on. How did you turn it around from your early years to uh, kind of going to law school? It seems like you kind of righted the ship, so to speak, in your life. I wish there was one particular day that I could say this is the day. You know, I. It's okay. It's oftentimes not. Oftentimes not. Yeah. So you know, I, I remember, you know, after I got the GED and went over to uh, Southeastern because they let me in with the GED, and uh, I absolutely loved that school hmm. in Hammond. Mm-hmm. They, uh, I just, I remember thinking if anybody, you know, no one's there, I, I got to do it myself. You know, I was, I felt smarter than my parents. I felt like I knew more than both of them. Mm-hmm. I felt like if, you know, if they had half the sense I did, then they would agree with me on all the issues that I felt mm-hmm. that I just, I, I had to be right about. And so clearly they were fighting me on the issues I knew I was right about, or at least thought I was at that time. And, uh, you know, I, I felt as though I got it. And then. You know, I said, well, I better prove it to them. So in, in a lot of ways, getting my quote-unquote act together was due in part to, to show those people who didn't agree with me that I could do it. You know, in a lot of ways, I'm like, I'm going to prove it to them. You know, I mean, it, and no one else is going to help me. You know, I'm here on my own. What were you aiming to prove? Anything specifically? You know, uh, it's, it's interesting. Growing up, my, my father and mother would bring us around and we'd do a lot of traveling and my dad would tell us, mm-hmm. you know, I want you to travel so that you go out and get a good job, make some money and you get to learn that there's so much to do out there in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so, you know, he's always saying, go get a good education and you can continue traveling. So that was right. kind of, so uh, I guess part of it, you know, when I started turning around was wanting to have an occupation or an education so that I can afford nice things like traveling in, yeah. in old minivans, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Why law? How did it end up being law for you and not some other occupation? It, it uh, just seemed like the easiest thing to do at the time. Easiest? I mean, I'm sure there are easier professions, that, but to me, it just it, just, it was a fit. It was like for undergrad, I, I chose accounting because it seemed like the, I could use that degree sure. in sure. a lot of different fields. Yeah. And I would be marketable. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I've truly found my passion in life yet as far as work is concerned. What's your take on New Orleans now and where it's going, do you think? You know, first, I think the, the influx of the young, bright people who have come to New Orleans has really given us a great boost of energy and enthusiasm mm-hmm. and intelligence. Uh, I think that's great. You know, uh, this new city administration, I think, is, is being a little more transparent and, and you know, trying to, to get rid of some of the, uh, the old, I'm going to help you, you help me kind of, kind of uh, I don't know, you get stuck in a rut sometimes with that. Yeah. You know, I, I'm pleased by the active uh, members of our society here going out. I'm, I'm happy that new businesses are looking at Louisiana and thinking, okay, yeah. we're not going to have a hurricane in Louisiana every year that wipes us out. I mean, that's a, you know, that was a major factor for investment Absolutely. down here. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and I think people are now starting to get over some of the psychological issues and, and problems because we're getting people's houses are getting raised. They're getting closer to a lot of different issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 
It takes physical, it takes monetary, you know, it takes policy, mental. Yeah. It takes policy, it takes, it takes the whole gambit of it. Do you think you'll stay in New Orleans for, for now and beyond? I, I want to stay here the rest of my life. I get homesick if I leave for a weekend. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> my wife's from here, so right. you know we, you know we, we're pretty excited. We're getting ready to move over to Gretna. Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Mindset. I am psychiatrist Dr. Nick Pajic, and our special guest this evening was Mr. Mark Maurice. Mindset is produced by Jennifer Casey. Technical direction by Eric Morrill. Mindset music is composed and performed by Alexis Marceau and Sam Kraft. Mindset is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Summer's almost over, but at Old Navy, the styles are as hot as ever. Get to Old Navy now for 30% off all jeans, 40% off all dresses, and 50% off all tees. That's right, get 30, 40, and 50% off all your favorite styles for the whole family, plus up to 75% off clearance. Hurry in fast. These deals won't last. The sale ends soon at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid in-store 822 to 828 and online 822 to 824. Excludes in-store clearance, bubbles, active, licensed, and men's package tees.